I want to do a quick poll this morning and just kind of feel out the room a little bit. You may have never seen me before, and so I'm brand new to you. But I wanted to ask today, how many of you grew up playing soccer? Just raise your hand if you grew up playing soccer. Wow, a lot more than I thought. How many of your kids currently right now are in the process of soccer? You either have played or you're going to play or you're currently playing or they travel. Yeah, so a good portion of us. Well, I grew up playing soccer as well. I grew up in a small farm town called Caledonia. You may have been there, may have heard of it. Maybe you're from there. So we're, we're together on that. But I grew up playing soccer and I wasn't the best at soccer, okay? I just need to confess that up front. You don't need to look at me and be like, of course, he's a soccer star. Like, you know, you've already figured me out. I'm not a soccer star. I'm a pastor. Those things are not the same. And so when I was growing up and had to get glasses, I immediately got the beloved label of being a nerd. I was a nerd. Like, I couldn't hide it. And it didn't even make sense that I was bad at school because my glasses were huge. You'll see me right there. You should be impressed, right? The Izod polo. I mean, how cool was I, right? I was everybody's best friend. I was the most popular kid. That's a total lie. I was not. I was not. But what I figured out is people that played sports, they were cool. Like, they had it figured out. They were awesome. Like, even in middle school, I started to take those social cues and said, I'm going to be a soccer star. Like, I had set in my mind and focused my life in such a way I was going to become a soccer star. Now, you see on the right, my attempt at that, I had to look down for sure. Notice the flames, right? The flames. That was everything to me. I thought I was so cool. But did you know that three million kids play soccer in the U.S.? Three million. That is a huge chunk of kids. That is a lot of, of soccer practice driving. Parents, you can say amen, right? That's a lot of practices to get to. It's a lot of money invested. That's a lot of uniforms, fit and unfit. That's a lot of uh, temper tantrums because our hair doesn't look the right way. You can see I never had that issue, right? I was, I was styling. And so as I began to play soccer, I, I determined that I was going to be in the MLS. I was going to become a pro soccer player, and my mom is very gracious, but she's very direct. She's like, and she's from Mississippi. So she's like, honey, that's, that's not going to happen. Like she kind of said it like that, that's not going to happen. I was like, oh, I'm going to show her, right? You've had those moments, your parents say, no, nah, you're never going to be able to do that. You're like, oh, yes, I will. Watch me. I'm going to make it happen. And so I determined to be a soccer star, but come to find out, and I'm a pastor now, so you know that it didn't turn out. And for 0.08% of kids that play soccer in high school, Make it to the pros, 0.08%. Now, maybe you're a soccer star in this room, but the majority of us are not. And so that stat holds true. But a lot of us have, have had the experience of soccer, or kids have, but very few of them actually find success as a career. Very few of them do that professionally. We're in week three of a series called Netflix and Chill. If you haven't Googled that yet, don't do it now. Like, just, just save it for after. But this series is all about sexuality, some of the lies and myths about what sexuality is in our culture and what God has to say about sexuality in our day and age, the words he has to share for us in the here and now. And so this series, we've been exploring that. Week one, we talked about the idea that as a church, we are going to choose to love people who are broken differently than us powerful, powerful. If we choose to do that, that's powerful. The second week, we talked a little bit about what it means to be healed. Many of you maybe have experienced sexual brokenness in your life. 
And last week, Pastor Brian talked all about what it means to be healed and how to set up guide, guides and, and guardrails in your life so that you don't continue to repeat the cycle of brokenness again and again, but through the Holy Spirit, through God's love for us, we can become new people, new creations in Christ. And today, I know that for many of us, our, our core desire, the core thing that you and I want, if we sat down and, and had a conversation over coffee, the, the common thread in our life would be we all desire true relationship. We all desire closeness. We all desire intimacy, whether that's in our marriage or, or in our families. We want to be close. We want to be tied together with other people. We weren't built to do life alone. You know how I know that? That 100 million people are on dating apps right now. So in church, your chances are pretty high. Like, you may just need to look around, right? Have an extra cup of coffee. Buy that lady behind you an extra cup of coffee. Like, you never know what could happen. One in three uh, approximately of Americans have had some experience on a dating app before, whether that's eHarmony or Match.com or Tinder or all these different apps that have, have come. I want to show you a picture of a man that most of you know, and maybe he's now your best friend. Here it is. Anybody know who this guy is? Neil Clark Warren, the founder of eHarmony.com. And I've got friends who met on eHarmony and have an awesome marriage, so I'm not knocking that at all. But it just is a clue for me in our society that we all desire intimacy. We all desire closeness. We all desire some level of relationship, but very few of us find it. Very few of us are just like kids playing soccer. We all want it, but very few of us actually end up finding it. Very few of us lock that in in our everyday lives. And when we talk about this big word of intimacy, often we just think about intimacy, even in the church culture, as being a fancy word for sex, right? If we can just be super honest, you're like, can a pastor say that in church? Yes, at Frontline, I can say that. So I'm going to say it. So intimacy is not just a fancy Christian polished word for Sex, intimacy is something that God has created you and I for in every single relationship. Whether you're married or not, whether you want to be married or not, you were built for intimacy. You are built for closeness, both with your creator, but also with other people, with friends, with people in your small group, with people at work, with people that are in your family, with people that you're married to, with, with all the relationships you have, God desires for you to be close because he moved close to you. And we've all got that friend, and you don't have to point at them if they're actually in the room, but we've all got that friend that's kind of like a textaholic, like you're at work, and every single time you look at your phone, they texted you again, you're like, dude, you need to get a life. Don't you work too? Like, and they're just sending you links and YouTube videos and funny gifts and funny memes and all these things, and they're trying to get you to laugh at what they think are funny, and they just constantly are texting. You know what they desire the most? Intimacy and closeness. What about the friend who constantly, or maybe they became more than a friend, and you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you remember they were like the most clingy people ever, and the best day of your life to date is when you broke up with them, right? You're like, I'm free, like Braveheart, freedom. Like that was your moment. You broke up with them, and you're like, oh my goodness, I feel totally set free. Not spiritual at all, but just a reality for some of us. You know what that person desires? Intimacy and closeness. You know why they're like that? Because we're all built for intimacy 
and closeness. What about this one? You have that friend who you're at a work party or you're at a family event and you see them and you have a good conversation with them and then you get in your car to leave and you look, you've got a Facebook friend request from them and you're like, whoa, how did you know that? Like you immediately get added on Facebook and they are the people that post every five minutes and you're like, how do I unfollow this person without them knowing? Like you've all done that, don't lie. If you got a Facebook, you've done that. How do I navigate that and still be, you know what that person desires? Intimacy and closeness. They desire relationship. They desire to be close in proximity to other people because that is how God has built us. And as I mentioned, Neil Clark Warren, the founder of eHarmony, there's a reason the dude is worth $500 million today because he's made a living off recognizing the core need for every single one of us in this room to be close, to have intimacy to know people deeply, to be cared and loved and known and created by God in such a way that that would actually happen. If you got your Bibles, I want to jump to a passage in Corinthians. Paul was writing to this, this fledgling church that he planted who had a lot of issues when it came to sexuality, had a lot of sexual brokenness, and we've hit on some of those issues in the past couple weeks. But in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, Paul is writing to them and says this, about sexuality. I have the right to do anything you say, the Corinthians would say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it's said that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Therefore, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In God's word and through Paul's letter, he's writing to the Corinthian church to kind of address this thing. This thing that we've just talked about, that these people desired intimacy and closeness and were looking for it in all of the wrong places. See, common in Corinthian society uh, was this, this practice called pederasty. And, and older men would take on younger men, ages 8 to 12, and have sex with them and try to, whatever you would call it, they wanted to develop their sexuality. They wanted them to become a man, so they practiced that. In the Corinthian church, family members were sleeping with family members. It was like a Maury show. Like, it was the real deal. Like, who's the father? No one really knows. Like, it was that bad of a situation. In the temples in Corinth, they would practice prostitution. And Paul is saying, you are not your own. Honor God with your body. Your body is not a separate piece of you, but it's who you are. It's intrinsically connected to your soul. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What he would have been writing was totally contrary to what the Corinthians would have thought about their body. 
their body, and that's why you, you see that about food and all that. Why does it matter what we eat or drink? Why does it matter what we do with our body when it comes to sexuality? It doesn't really matter. It has no effect spiritually on us. Paul is saying, no, you don't understand the price that was paid for your body, not just your soul, not just a transaction of, of salvation, but that your whole person would become new and, and devoted to Christ. His belief about the body, you see that if you've got your Bible in, in verse 13. They said, food for the stomach, stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Like, it doesn't really matter, right? It's, it's all going away anyway, so why really treat it with any kind of intentionality in this life? But he, he connects it to the idea of resurrection. You see that in verse 14, by his power. God raised the Lord from the dead. He's talking about Jesus, and he will raise us also Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Wow. That's powerful. For us, that should change some things. And that should change how we seek out that intimacy and closeness that we all desire. And Paul uses the same language in verse 20 when he says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, because of that truth, because of that fact, honor God with your bodies. I don't have to tell you in our culture what our culture's view, what often the world and people that are not following Jesus, how they view your, their body essentially is a little bit different than what Paul is talking about right here, right? Whether it's in relationships, whether it's what they post on social media, whether it's the music and entertainment choices they indulge in, we don't have a high view of our bodies, we don't always honor God with our bodies. When we talk about being a temple of the Holy Spirit, ugh, I don't think about my body that way very often. When I'm shoveling five guys down my gullet, I'm not thinking about me being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I just be honest with you this morning? And, and, and for many of us, it, it's rooted in, our, in the brokenness of our society. It's rooted in the brokenness sexually of our culture as well. The, the lies that culture tells us about what it means to be a full person. And one of those we talked about last week, and I just want to touch on it again, is just the reality that, that pornography has eroded our foundation of what true and good sexuality really looks like. It's a lie that our culture has told us. And none of us would stand up here to, and, and want to say, hey, there's, there's 10 ways that porn has made my life better. No one could really do that. Maybe you could, but, but I'm not going to give you the microphone because it's like wired to my head, all right? I'm not going to give you that opportunity. But very few of us could actually do that and say, here's all the ways that porn has made me a better Christian. Here's all the ways that porn has actually made my relationship with my wife or husband or, or even my kids or, or my coworkers. It's made that better. It's improved that. But did you know that over 90% of people when polled ages 13 to 24 said that viewing porn was less immoral than not recycling. Do you want me to say that one more time? <laughs> Over 90% of people when polled ages 13 to 24 said viewing porn was no, it was just a little bit less immoral than not recycling. And I recycle, so that, I, I get that. But it's, it's a huge deal when it comes to our culture. We've got to know the narrative that our culture tells about what it means to be a pure person, what it means to be a holy person, what it means to really honor God with our body. And you may sit here today and totally skeptical, figuring church out, not even sure why you're here this morning. So why do we think that that, that 
element of purity, that pursuing purity in, in all of its forms, whether online or in real relationships, why does that even matter? Why do we think that personal purity has anything to do with our other relationships and when it comes to intimacy and closeness? And here's why I think that is. Andy Stanley said it really well. It's this, that purity paves the way for intimacy. Purity, the pursuit of God in all areas, whether sexually or not, it just paves the way for intimacy. If I gave you a real short kind of cliff notes version of what I think purity is, it would be this. Purity is a changed life and changed behavior overflowing from a changed heart. Changed life, changed behavior, changed thoughts, changed patterns and perspectives that overflow from a changed heart. I think about this a lot when, when I go to the gym. And you may look at me again and be like, when was the last time you went there? I promise I do go, right? I've been there before once or twice. I've got the card to prove it. But, but when I started going to the gym really regularly, it was about two or three years ago. And someone challenged me actually with this verse and said, are you honoring God with your body? And I said almost the exact same thing that the Corinthians said. I was like, it doesn't matter. God didn't just come to save my body. It was just about my souls, about my spirits, what's inside. So what I do with it, whether or not I eat five guys five days a week, shouldn't matter to me. And whether or not I exercise or, or pursue purity when it comes to my sexual uh, expression, that doesn't matter either because I'm going to die and then my soul's going to float on up to heaven and we're all going to be good. And plus, God forgives me anyway. So why does it matter? And I was deeply challenged by someone who said, no, it does matter. Honor God with your body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Man, it's hard. It's hard to desecrate a temple that God wants to dwell in. It's hard. If you're honest with yourself and we face the facts together, it would be very tough for us to continue living out the lies our sexuality communicates and not do that. So I started going to the gym, and I started feeling really good, right? You've had that moment. You walk in, and maybe it's Planet Fitness or somewhere else, and you've got your perfect gym outfit on. Like, sometimes you save it for, like, a Saturday morning. You're like, I'm going to the gym. Like, you've got a new thing, and you went to TJ Maxx, and you bought all the clothes that you needed to buy so that you can actually work out properly, whatever that means. But I've done it, and you've done it. So let's just be honest together. So we go to the gym on Saturdays, and often when I started to walk into the gym, I had a picture of myself that didn't fully reflect uh, reality, but it, it kind of looks something like this. Right? You don't see any discrepancy there, do you? Like, it just makes total sense. No. Every time I walked to the gym, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, I am owning this thing. I'm honoring God with my body. I'm lifting those 10-pound dumbbells like a boss. Like, I had it figured out. But every time I walked in the gym, I think this next picture is probably more accurate depiction. <laughs> Right? In the spirit of full disclosure, that's probably a little bit more accurate to, to what reality really shows every time I walk into the gym. But for me, it was a perspective change. It wasn't just about getting more muscles. It wasn't about getting better at cardio. It wasn't about even losing weight. For me, it was about stewarding my body, submitting even that part of me to God. 
and recognizing that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if I want to continue to serve God, to love my wife well, to, to love my future kids, I hope, well, to, to love those around me well, to serve our church well, I've got to take care of my body. It's the only one I've got. And I want to steward it well. I want, I want to pursue purity in it so that God would, would use me in greater ways even as I get older. And I think about this a lot while sitting on the couch eating cookie dough. Right? It doesn't always work. So I'm just saying, like, the spirit of full disclosure doesn't always work. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to wrestle through what this means for me. But when it comes to even sexual purity, there's so many lies that our culture has told us. And some of us have have showed up to Sunday mornings with loads of shame and guilt because we messed it up somewhere along the way. Let me just tell you that in my definition of purity, I didn't include the word virginity. Purity is not simply virginity. And so if you've, if you've kind of messed up that part of your life and you're like, I don't have any hope, like it's kind of over, like I'm glad you're still talking, but I'm kind of checked out of the conversation. Purity is always possible. Always. In Christ, Perry Noble said it this way, your history does not have to be your destiny. And that's so true even when it comes to our sexuality and our purity. That purity is always possible. Even if you've messed that up, and I'm, I'm right there with you, even if you messed up and, and you read the book or went to the conference, True Love Waits, and your love didn't wait, that doesn't mean true love is impossible for you. That doesn't mean that purity is no longer an option in your life, but just reserved for some spiritually elite people that go to church like six days a week. That doesn't mean that. And this passage points to that. These people had really messed it up, and yet Paul writes to them that they can actually honor God with their bodies. And he wasn't saying that arbitrarily. He was saying that because he really believed it was possible, and so much so that he packs the language of resurrection behind it. So that you and I, because Christ has been raised from the dead, have that same power in our life. And yet so many of us, intimacy and closeness is so fleeting. It's just out there. And maybe even purity feels that way to you. It's just, it's out there. I'll never really attain it. I love this quote. I've adapted it from what something Craig Groeschel said. And, and it, this has really made me think these past couple weeks. It's this, that it's incredibly difficult to build a life of intimacy on a foundation of impurity. Let me say that one more time. It's incredibly difficult to build a life of intimacy on a foundation of impurity. Some of you today, your main struggle is just continuing to build that foundation. And there's things that chip away at that. Maybe it's pornography or some other addiction or some other negative pattern in your life. And it continues to erode that foundation of purity. And there's always hope. There's always a new day. It says in the Psalms that God's mercies and grace and hope are fresh every morning that your feet hit the ground. And so purity is always possible. A changed life that results in changed behaviors overflows from a changed heart, from a changed soul, from the, from the ability to honor God with your body. And for others of us, it's, it's not as big as relaying a foundation as much as it is deciding right now that we are going to make every decision count when it comes to our sexuality. We're going to make every entertainment choice count. We're going to make 
every single thing we do on our devices, whether a computer or phone, iPad, we're going to make those count. We're going to honor God in those places. And for most of us, it's not always things that we would say are incredibly immoral. It's just little things here and there, small compromises along the way that lead us into places we never thought we would go. And some of you are sitting here in that situation. You're looking and taking inventory of your life, and you're like, man, I'm screwed up. Like, I'm in a bad spot. And I don't want to tell anybody what's happened. I don't want to have to confess that. I don't want to share that with anybody. But I know I need some incredible help. And that's why we exist. It's why our church is doing what we do. It's why we have uh, multiple campuses around this city. Is because we believe that there's always hope that you can pursue purity right now, right here, no matter what you have done. And purity, in, in so many ways, purity is just the, the ability. It's the decision to say no to the thing you want in the moment, in the right now, in order to say yes to the thing that you and I want the most. Purity says no to the thing I want now in order to say yes to God, in order to say yes to a life of purity, in order to say yes to a fruitful relationship, in order to say yes to a marriage that's full of intimacy and life and vibrancy. And maybe for you, that is the most fleeting thing in your brain right now. You stay here today, it's like there's no hope for my marriage. There's no hope for the relationships I'm in. Or maybe you don't even feel called to be married and you're wrestling with singleness and what does that mean for me? There's hope. You can be a pure person and purity has an effect on every single thing that you do, not just your marriage, not just your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Purity, a changed life that comes from the overflow of a changed heart. And that's why Paul was so direct about it. You see in your Bibles in verse 18, Paul is saying, flee. The Greek word for flee translates to run, okay? They're not that different. Flee, run, head the opposite direction from sexual immorality, from things that are going to compromise your purity, things that are going to erode that foundation of purity that you and I are seeking in order for us to experience true intimacy, true closeness, true and deep relationships. And so we've read Paul's words. We know that he was serious about it. And in this series, it can be very, very impacting on our lives because of the reason that so many of us have experienced sexual brokenness and shame and the guilt and the fear and the anxiety that surrounds some of those past or maybe even present patterns and decisions. And so as a result of hearing God's word, I wanted to kind of give us three decisions that I believe if you make these three decisions, you will see purity flourish in your life. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want selfishly for me. I want purity. And I'm married. And I want my marriage to be the best possible relationship it can be. And purity is the secret to making that happen. It's a secret to building a lifelong relationship that honors God. So there's three decisions. I want to just kind of rattle them off to you. If you're taking notes, this will be helpful for you as you continue in the week. The first is this, stop asking how far can I go and start asking how pure can I become. Stop asking the question how far is too far. If you're dating someone or you're not dating someone or even online, like how far can I go? Can I click on this but not fully be impure? Can I do this or watch this but, but not be impure? Can I 
do this with my boyfriend or girlfriend or our fiance and still be a pure person. You're asking the wrong question. Stop asking, how far can I go? And start asking, how pure can I become? My mom, again, from Mississippi, she introduced that question to me very young. And I didn't take it seriously for a long time. And I suffered because of that. That there are things in my life I deeply regret. There are people I stepped into relationships and did things with that, that I wish as I'm now in a marriage that honors God and my wife is serving him. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't take those steps. I wish I'd asked the question again and again in moments of temptation and vulnerability. Wait, how pure can I become? I wish I'd asked that earlier. It's a decision I'm going to make moving forward. And the second so stop asking that question. Start asking the other question. The second is make decisions before you're desperate. Make decisions before you're desperate. So many of us, especially when it comes to our sexuality, make decisions in the moment where hormones and emotions are raised and that person is asking for this or that or, hey, text me this or that or send this over social media to me and, and all those things. If we do those things in moments of desperation, you've got to make decisions way before you get to that point. And that's the whole idea of boundaries and guidelines. And if you didn't catch Brian's message from last week, I would encourage you Go to FrontlineGR.com and listen to it. Take heed to his journey and his story. It will change you when you talk about desiring intimacy and knowing that purity paves the way to that. Make decisions before you're desperate. And the third is just a recognition. Recognize that God's boundaries actually bring blessing. Recognize that God's restrictions and, and confinements even for sexuality as is, is between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship are actually going to make your life better, not worse. God is not a killjoy. God just knows what he's talking about. God has designed you for sexuality that will blow your mind in the best spiritual way. And that happens when we follow his boundaries for it. That happens when we recognize that boundaries bring blessing. And that's rooted in Genesis 2. It's rooted in, in this passage in Corinthians that God designed man to experience full intimacy and relationship with people around him, but in the context of marriage and in God's designs and guidelines for it. And I know that in, a, in the room of this size, I've shared just tidbits of even my own journey and wrestling with this question. I know that for many of us, when we show up to even a Sunday morning, what inhibits us from truly worshiping and truly experiencing intimacy and closeness with God is the level of shame and guilt that you carry because of a life of impurity, a life that has made decisions that you regret, and, and you live into that, and your relationships even following that have continued to mirror that cycle of impurity, and you just want to stop it but don't know where to start? Can I give you a little bit of hope today? It's this, that God has more grace than you have sin. God has more grace than you have sin. God has more grace than you have sin. Did you hear me? God has more grace than you have sin. God has more grace than you have sin. Some of you just need to internalize it, get that tattooed on your forehead. You just need to know that, 
You need to internalize that. You need that to become a, a truism, something that's real and practical in your life. God is more grace than you have sin. We know this because in Genesis 3, Adam recognizes the mistake he's made. When he's walked away from God's design for sexuality. In Genesis 3, we just see that come up again and again. He felt shame. He was naked. He was revealed. But we know that in 1 John 1, 9, that there is always hope. If we can throw that verse on the screen. I just want to read it out together out loud. In 1 John 1, 9, we recognize this. Let's read it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And there's that word, purify us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us. Some of you just need to make that decision to seek him on it. Some of you need to make decisions in your life that change the relationship. You need to break up with that person. You need to invest in that relationship. You need to say to your spouse, hey, I'm in it. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's, let's go for it. Let's pursue purity together. Let's seek after God's best. And the truth is that some of you, again, sit here today with guilt and shame, and that wasn't because of decisions that you made either. It's because of decisions other people made and forced into your life and victimized you and assaulted you and things that you wouldn't have wanted in your life, but you still carry the weight and the bondage and the shame and the fear that comes from the reality that someone else did this to me and there's no way I'm ever going to be pure. I'm ruined forever. Even if I'm not married yet, there's no chance that that marriage relationship will really be all that God wants it to be because someone did this or someone has done that in my past. You know the sad reality is that every 98 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in the U.S. That's like 35 people during this message that if they walked up every time and stood on the stage, I hope that your heart would break. But that doesn't mean that God is done with them yet. That doesn't mean that their chance at living out purity and, and seeing that pave the way to intimacy in their future relationship is just a lost cause. No, God has more grace than we have sin. And that changes everything. So what I wanted to do is pray for you and then we're gonna worship, we're gonna respond in that way. But my hope for you today is that whether it's making some new decisions or praying differently or seeking out community right here at Frontline or in other spaces that you would experience what it's like to see purity pave the way for intimacy in your life. So let's pray together. God, I thank you today that we have incredible amounts of hope and promise and future and destiny in you. God, today as I look around the room, I'm just overwhelmed by the belief that I have that you have more grace than we have sin. You have more grace than we have shame. You have more grace than we have guilt and your future is bright for us. God, I pray that in these moments you would bring us healing, that you'd set us free, that you set us on a trajectory that pursues purity, that chases after you, that results in changed behaviors and a life because our heart has been changed. God, thank you for doing that in my story. And 
I pray that you do that in so many other stories starting today. We love you, and we trust you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name.